This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there. I hope you're all doing well. Spring is so close, I can almost taste it, and I am chomping at the bit, raring to get out there and enjoy my garden. All of my seeds have arrived, and my bare root plantings and flats of seedlings have been ordered and should be arriving over the next several weeks. It is always so exciting to be at the beginning of another new season of gardening. It is truly intoxicating when you catch that first whiff of the soil thawing out and you notice the daylight is lingering a little longer each day. Then you see a robin hopping across your front yard and you hear birdsong and you know spring is really here. I think we've got a great show for you today. Today we'll be talking about several important issues, including the inestimable value of milkweed. And now for some interesting news. A recent study about North American eagles affected by lead poisoning is causing grave concern for avian scientists. Published in the journal Science, the eight-year study conducted by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the U.S. Geological Survey, and Conservation Science Global is showing that populations of both the bald eagle and the golden eagle are being significantly impacted by lead poisoning. Lead poisoning occurs when an eagle eats fragments of lead ammunition inside an animal or within gut piles left behind by hunters. Nearly 50% of the 1,200 birds examined for the study showed evidence of repeated exposure to lead, a neurotoxin that can build to fatal levels in birds. Lead poisoning is causing population growth rates for the bald eagle to slow by 3.8% and close to 1% for the golden eagle annually. After decades of attempting to build up eagle numbers due to the devastating effects of DDT, wildlife officials are greatly disconcerted by the results of this new research. Said Dr. Tad Katzner, a wildlife biologist and one of the lead authors of the study, This is the first study of lead poisoning of wildlife at a nationwide scale, and it demonstrates the unseen challenges facing these birds of prey. We now know more about how lead in our environment is negatively impacting our North American eagles. A new study is showing that a human's quality of life is directly affected by the presence of birds. The research conducted by German scientists at the Goethe Institute in Frankfurt discovered that not only the close proximity to birds, but the diversity of those birds increases the happiness of humans. Using a quality-of-life survey involving close to 30,000 adults from 26 European countries, the researchers found that the most satisfied individuals were those experiencing the presence of numerous bird species in their daily lives. According to Dr. Joel Meathors, the study's lead author, 
Living or working near a biodiverse area inhabited by birds leads to the same satisfaction levels as a 10% increase in salary. The happiest people are those who can experience numerous different bird species in their daily life or who live in near-natural surroundings that are home to many species, he said. I think you all know what I'm going to say. Start planting, everyone. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. And now let's talk about the value of milkweed. The monarch population is in bad need of help. Estimates by scientists show a 90% reduction in their populations over the last several decades. While there are a number of factors involved in this reduction, one of the biggest is a lack of milkweed. 25 years ago, milkweed was as common as grass and could be seen in just about every field in the eastern U.S. and into the Midwest. Then Roundup-ready crops appeared and they became the new hot commodity for farmers. These food crops were altered to tolerate the herbicide Roundup. Milkweed was not tolerant, of course, and was killed off in huge numbers, according to scientists, resulting in the loss of millions of acres of milkweed. The bottom line is monarch caterpillars only eat milkweed. The milkweed is the host plant of the monarch, and it is absolutely vital to the survival of newly hatched caterpillars. The milkweed plants provide all of the nourishment they need to transform into the beautiful monarch butterflies that we all know and love. Thankfully, native gardeners have taken up the cause and are planting as much milkweed as they possibly can each year. Because when you stop and think about it, it's really about more than just the monarchs. Since monarchs are big and flashy, they gain a lot of media attention. But there are many other insects that feed on the milkweed's rich supply of nectar. This includes the eastern tiger swallowtail, skippers, eastern commas, the snowberry clearwing moth, and multiple species of bee, including bumblebees. It's really easy to grow your own milkweed. They love full sun, and there are species suited to both dry or humid conditions. The other great thing is that they are perennials, and once established, will reappear year after year. There are numerous species of milkweed to choose from. For example, some common species in the northeastern part of the United States include swamp milkweed, which likes damp marshy areas. Then there's common milkweed, which prefers well-drained soils. There is also poke milkweed, which thrives in woodland settings, and world milkweed, which does well in prairies and open areas. If for some reason you are not able to overwinter milkweed seeds outdoors, you can speed things up by soaking milkweed seeds for several hours or overnight. Then place the seeds in a Ziploc bag with moist growing mix. Refrigerate the bag of seeds in soil for up to 30 days. Transfer the seeds to a growing tray with soil and check daily, misting the soil when dry. Let seedlings grow for at least six weeks to build adequate root systems. Bring the tray outdoors on warm days for several hours, placing them in indirect sun. Once seedlings show one or more sets of leaves, transplant into four-inch pots, then plant them in the ground in the fall. For more detailed planting instructions on milkweed, go to the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center website. See their link in our show notes. Just a quick word of caution. 
It's important to exercise care when working with milkweed plants. Always wear gloves since the white sap can be harmful to humans and pets. Yes, milkweed is absolutely essential to the continued survival of the monarch. But according to scientists, the monarch is the bellwether, and its struggle indicates what direction all pollinating insects are headed. So please know when you plant for the monarch, you are planting for the survival of a lot of other species. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And now for more of my personal story. After nearly a year of working at the Bird Center with my mentor, I was finally starting to feel like I had some solid rehabilitation skills. It felt so good to know I had learned enough to save a bird's life and could get him back to the wild where he belonged. And then I was sent to the marina. It was winter and thousands of tourists were flocking onto the Keys to escape the frigid temperatures in the north. The docks at the marina were where all of the fishing boats were located. For several hundred dollars, you could book a fishing trip with a charter and spend an entire day trying to reel in fish. When the day was done, the boat came back to the docks and the crew took the customer's catch and cut it up. It was a gesture that was extended as a courtesy to the customer. And there were plenty of restaurants in the area that were willing to cook your catch for that evening's dinner. And of course, it was a great way to get even more tips out of the fishermen. The problem, unfortunately, is how it is conducted. I stood and watched as the boat crew carried the fish to the plastic filleting tables set up along the pier. They quickly and deftly filleted each fish, chopping off the heads and scales, removing entire skeletons. They were flashy and showy in their movements and told lots of jokes, and as a result, they attracted quite a crowd. But the main event for the tourists were the dozens of pelicans that gathered in the water just below the filleting station. With great flourish, the crew would throw pieces of fish to the pelicans, and the tourists would hoot and clap their hands as the birds fought each other for the scraps of food. I stood there in horror as a crew member held up an entire fish skeleton for all to see. I yelled out to him, please don't feed that to the pelicans. He turned to me and laughed and then hurled the carcass into the mass of birds. A big fight ensued with one pelican eagerly devouring it, and the crowd cheered. Within minutes, the filleting was over and tourists had grown bored and walked away. I carefully watched the pelican who had swallowed the fish skeleton. The bird was already acting unusual, moving its head up and down and twisting its head sideways, trying to swallow what was hopelessly trapped in its throat. All seabirds rely on the outer fatty layer of a fish and its smooth and slimy scales to help them swallow their food. An entire fish slides down a bird's throat effortlessly. However, a fish carcass, the remains of a fish that has been filleted, leaves the sharp bones exposed. The bones puncture the inside of the throat and the stomach of the bird. The trapped bones then become lodged in tissue and block the throat, preventing the pelican from eating any more fish, and starvation quickly sets in. If starvation doesn't kill the pelican, they usually die of internal hemorrhaging or sepsis due to the massive infection caused by the ruptured tissue. 
My job that day was to safely capture and bring back any pelicans harmed by filleting. While the pelican struggled in the water, I quickly threw my large bird net over him and drew his heavy body out of the water. I could already see the sharp points of bone had perforated his throat. He was losing blood quickly. I was so angry I felt like steam was coming out of my ears. As much as I wanted to go over to the crew and deliver a blistering lecture, I knew the bird needed immediate attention. I put him in the car and drove him to the center as quickly as I could. As I carried him inside the center, he was gasping for air, so it was obvious his oxygen supply was being cut off. It took three of us to remove the carcass. One person had to place their arms down the bird's throat and expand the tissue as far as possible to allow the pelican to breathe, while my mentor and I tried to unhook each spine and maneuver the entire carcass up and out of his throat. It was a relief to finally get the entire thing out, and we watched him immediately start to calm down. We gave the pelican special avian sub-Q fluids so he could replace his lost blood supply. We also administered pain medication along with antibiotics to stop any brewing infection. After an hour under a heat lamp specially designed for rehabilitating seabirds, he was placed in a larger enclosure indoors and later that day received his first meal, which was liquefied and gavaged very carefully down his throat. This pelican was one of the lucky ones. In many cases, the pelican flies off to a remote area in the mangroves and dies a slow and painful death. The most frustrating aspect of this situation is that feeding pelicans is illegal and has been for years. While the tourists don't know this, charter fishing boat crews do know, and yet a number of them continue the practice to make just a few bucks in tips. It will clearly take a lot of education and enforcement to make this practice a thing of the past. In the meantime, we will keep taking in pelicans injured by filleted carcasses. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.